This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is the morning of August 10th. Stocks are up right now. Inflation data is a little bit better than expected. Um, you know, there's also a bullish case to be made, and we'll kind of go through some of those indicators today as well. But before we kind of get into those, Tim, anything we should say about what's happening in the market right now and really what's going on from an inflation standpoint? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the big news of today is the CPI print. There had been a lot of fear coming into the CPI print because of a Cleveland Fed now cast that was looking that was suggesting that we might put up like a nine or a nine one number. And people were freaked out about that because that number has been running above where CPI has been. But you got, you know, more of a benign. I mean, eight and a half percent inflation is not benign, but it's the trend that matters. Uh, so, you know, the market's rallying on that. Uh, you know, the the big drag on it, the thing that really pulled the number down was airfares. I don't know if you've booked a flight lately, but airfares don't feel disinflationary to me. They're still up, uh, I think, in the neighborhood of 25 to 30% on a year-over-year basis. So, look, uh, to me, it's kind of noise. Um, the long-term trend on inflation, as you know, I believe is higher. But look, if we go into a recession, and I do think we're going to go into a recession, the inflation numbers are going to be coming down. It really, it really just comes down to how fast are they going to be coming down, and how deep of a recession is it going to take to bring them down. But you know that my long-term feeling is that we are in a whole different world, and it really is about labor availability. We've had 40 years of great labor availability, and we are now going into a period of less labor availability, really exacerbated by the phenomenon of. COVID, the COVID recovery, and the lack of improvement and labor force participation rate. And then you don't have immigration, you don't have globalization, you have poor productivity growth, and all of that leads to we don't have enough labor. Now, as I say, if we have negative 3% GDP for a couple quarters in a row and we've got a 6% unemployment rate, that's not going to be a problem for that period. But as we come out of it, I think you'll start to see, again, you'll see labor mismatches and, and a really tight labor market. So just to reiterate, my focus is not on this month's CPI, next month's PCE, or even three months from now, but the big picture, long-term issue that I think we're running into, which is an inflationary picture following 40 years of a disinflationary picture. And I think that's what matters for advisors to be thinking about as they think about asset allocation, as they think about 60-40, as they think about principal protection. So JP Morgan came out with, the strategist had some bullish yeah. um, sentiments and there's 10 of them. And I thought it might be a good exercise to kind of go through quickly, like what your thoughts on them yeah. are. Uh, the first being technical background for stocks, including positioning, appears favorable. You know, stocks are going up. You'll find all kinds of technicians who go, yeah, technicals are great. You broke, you know, you broke trend lines and so on and so forth. I don't really care about technicals. And in the near term, look, I've run a, uh, I've run a trading business and I never had a technician, a guy who was a primary technician, make money. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think technicals can be additive. I think they can be self-fulfilling prophecies, but I don't think there's something to base real investment decisions off of. How about investor sentiment is overly bearish right now? You know, 
that certainly was the case. I don't know that that is still the case. Look, if you look at the reaction like today, there seems to me that there's more fear of people missing out, the FOMO fear of missing on a, on a, on a big rip than there is fear of the market really falling apart. The third is that the Fed's probably reeking, uh, reaching peak hawkishness. I don't see what you'd be appealing to. I think Powell screwed up with his neutral. You know, we're, we're approaching neutral. I don't think that people realize that when Powell talks about that, he's talking about um, kind of a, you know, a, a future where he believes neutral to be. I, I, I wish somebody had asked the question, does that mean that you're therefore getting close to the end of your tightening bias? And he would say, oh, no, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, so I, I don't see that. And as you see the Fed speak coming out, look, one of the things that's happened here is with the market rally and the 10-year coming down, financial conditions have eased. That's not what the Fed wants. The Fed wants this market to slow and they want to keep, uh, they want this economy to slow and they want to keep financial conditions tight. There is There is a way of looking at it, kind of a perverse way of looking at it is, all of this behavior now with the 10-year and with the equity markets loosening financial conditions has made the Fed's job harder, and it's going to lead them to need to be that much more hawkish. So, no, I don't, I, I don't buy that. What about the dollars peaking? Dollars peaking, you know, look, it, it, it certainly, the dollar peaking strikes me as a risk of, the dollar strength has been disinflationary, right? Uh, now, it's not good for corporate earnings. Uh, but it has been disinflationary. And, and I remain uh, that it's, you know, I know every every hacky pundit on CNBC says it's the cleanest dirty shirt. Well, I agree. I think it's the cleanest dirty shirt. Where else are you going to go with your with with your dollar, with your reserves? People want to own belong dollar. They want to belong uh, U.S. assets. Robust bank balance sheets will allow companies to keep supporting the business cycle. There's no doubt. I mean, this is not the great financial crisis. The regulators did the right thing. Banks are in much better shape. But when you drain liquidity, and we are draining liquidity globally, there's never been a period in history where you had more central banks raising rates at the same time. Uh, risk assets follow liquidity. And when you're draining liquidity, you're draining the money supply, that's not positive for risk assets. But nobody here is making the call that we're going to have some kind of balance sheet related meltdown. Uh, that's just not that's just not the thesis. So it's true. Bank balance sheets are better than they were in the last in the great financial crisis. No doubt. We're in earnings season. Um, only a minor pullback is expected. You know, two. Well, I think that 22 estimates have gone from um, from 227 to 223. So estimates have not come down that much. Don't forget. A lot of retail is off calendar, so you still haven't gotten a lot of retail earnings. I think those will be especially weak, but I think you still have a lot of optimism built into forecasts, uh, and I think I don't think that optimism uh, is going to be well placed. Look, Fed uh, tightening cycles manifest themselves with a lag and a variable lag. Uh, we are slowing. We are going to continue to slow. Consumer confidence, forward-leading indicators. Um, whether it's small business indicators or uh, sentiment indicators, ISM new orders, things like that, they all tell you that we are still in the process of slowing. Uh, the consumer, we've got excess savings, strong labor market, especially when we're looking at something like, you know, the most recent non-farm payrolls. Um, what would you make yeah. of that? 
Yep. Labor market is strong. Labor market super strong. And I think the labor market is going to stay tight. Uh, but we've still got negative real wage growth. Uh, and that puts pressure on the consumer. And when you talk about average savings rates, I think that misses the whole point. Uh, because of a world where, the you know, where you're getting uh, more and more bifurcated, the bottom half of the economy is not still sitting on savings. And that's why you're seeing credit card balances uh, and you're seeing things like home equity lines of credit start to really increase. And you're even starting to see stress in that bottom half of the economy in terms of uh, 30 and 90 day um, delinquencies. And then the last uh, reason strategists gave to be bullish is that China is going to be behaving counter cyclically to develop markets in the second half of this year. Yeah, man, I think he's already getting proven wrong on that one. I mean, yeah. China, you're pushing on a string in China. I mean, you could you could lower rates and try to incentive people to buy into a falling housing market. That clearly is not happening. And even regulators now in China are saying, look, we, we can, there's only so much we can do mm -hmm. in terms of stimulating. The other aspect of it is China is an export economy. That's what they do. That's how they pull themselves out. And if you don't have demand, again, you're kind of pushing on a string. If you don't have demand from the U.S. and Europe, it's kind of hard for China to, to export their way out of it. And I just I continue to think that the real estate issue in China uh, is is unraveling. And I think it has massive global implications. Um, the, recently, we had, you know, so strong set of jobs. Anything you want to say on the non-farm payrolls? Uh, they were up 528,000 on the month. Um, so they they beat yeah. Dow Jones's estimates quite yeah. quite well, you know, by 3.5 yeah. as opposed to 3.6. Yeah. yeah, the whole range of estimates was like 200 to 300. Yeah. Nobody thought that you were going to put up a 500 number. And, you know, we've talked about the quality of those numbers and it gets revisions, but they're not probably going to be revised by 500,000 jobs or even 300,000. I think the, the amazing thing to me is the labor force participation rate downticked. It just continues to prove to me that we are on to something when we say that the labor force is not going to grow in a way that is allow, going to allow this economy to grow in a non-inflationary way. Like you've got a super tight labor market. Uh, you've still got two jobs uh, available for every job seeker, um, but you don't see the participation rate go up. And that just suggests to me that this great resignation and this big demographic issue that we have is here to stay. Uh, and, that, and that there is going to be inflationary pressure on the, on, on the jobs front. Despite that, consumer outlooks for inflation have gone down when you're looking at the New York Federal Reserve Board's yeah. survey of consumer expectations. Uh, respondents are thinking that inflation will run at like a 6.2 over the course of next year, and then we'll go down to a 3.2 uh, for the next three years. And, you know, today's data, I think, seem to kind of beat the analyst expectations, right? Inflation yeah. was a little bit lower than expected. Yeah. So, you know, w what's the trend line like that? And, you know, do you think the average consumer, um, you know, is, is on point really? Yeah, I, I think it just reflects the very near term what people are seeing. Uh, it, 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 I think it's probably more gas prices more than anything. I think it was the San Francisco Fed that just came out with a paper that, that said that inflation expectations have an impact on very short run, but really no impact on the long run. And I think, you know, consumers are looking at gas prices coming down. You've seen, um, now the data is people, people in the energy uh, patch argue over, is it really possible that 
driving miles have fallen this much and some expect that those driving miles stats to move back up because generally there's not that much elasticity generally demand for, for for gasoline stays pretty solid so people are like this doesn't quite look right um but look i, I don't know where gas prices are going to be three months six months from now i have a view that we're never building another refinery in this country that that you know, CapEx is continuing to right. fall in the downstream. And the fact is, is that in a stronger economy, gas prices are going to go right back to $5 again. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, yeah, despite everything that's been done on the demand side, just refining is really it, right? I mean, it's... It's like a ratchet that day. only goes yeah. one way. I mean, look, if you think about it, if you're the CEO of a refinery, of a refining company, or even of a major, are you making big investments to grow your footprint? The law, Marathon just put up a huge quarter. Marathon's got a ton of refining exposure. And uh, they were like, you know, those are, are you gonna grow capacity? No, no, we're not growing capacity. It's the rational decision. If, if, if electric cars are gonna continue to become a bigger and bigger part uh, of the US fleet, uh, the writing is on the wall. And then you've, you know, it is, I keep calling it kind of the unintended consequences of a green agenda. I believe we have to do something uh, to combat climate change, but uh, the unintended consequence is that nobody's going to spend CapEx on legacy, on a legacy business in a sense, which is, which is, you know, it's going to take a long damn time, but it's still a bit of a melting ice cube. And you're not just, you're just not going to have capacity additions. Yeah. I mean, that kind of brings up, you know, kind of the final point I'd say today is that we've been talking about Build Back Never for a long time. They got the Inflation Reduction Act through uh, the Senate and will likely be voted on the House and passed and everything at this point. What do you make of the green incentives in particular, you know, as it relates to energy? Uh, I know there's also some um, fossil fuel elements that have been subsidized as well, but, you know, just energy as a package, I guess. It sounds to me like they made some very smart long-term decisions. You know, it's going to be interesting the way the incentives on the electric cars work because they're going to have to be cheaper electric cars. So I wonder the degree to which all the OEMs from Tesla to Ford to Volkswagen uh, are going to have to rethink their plans and really try to introduce more thirty and thirty-five thousand dollar electric cars because if I'm if I remember correctly, you don't get the seventy-five hundred bucks if you're buying an, an eighty thousand dollar Model S. Um, so that'll, that'll, that'll be interesting to see. And I think that'll take some time. And as you know, the, the, the automakers are under, going to be under real margin pressure on every electric car they build, because you take a look at Albemarle, take a look at what lithium prices are doing. Um, you know, it's the, the, your, your PPI as an automaker is only going up. And but by the way, UAW's got a new contract in 2023, 2023. What do you think that's going to look like? Tight labor markets. UAW hasn't gotten a new contract for a long time. They're not even keeping up with COLA, uh, cost of living wages, uh, inflation. Come on. I mean, that that, that is going to be, I would not want to be dead long an automaker right now because don't forget, Ford and GM, they're printing money on every F-150 and on every Silverado. They're not making a lot of money on electric cars, so so they this is they're in investment mode right now, and costs are are going against them. And for, for to really drive volumes and get these incentives, you're going to have to be selling cheaper cars. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have a call on the automakers or anything, but I'm just saying there's a whole lot of factors that are that are pressuring those guys. Oh, absolutely. Uh, anything we might overlook this week, Tim? No, I think that I think that really does it. I, I would I would just I would just 
caution people not to overreact to one month of CPI data, one month of non-farm payroll data. I think that, you know, the tighter financial conditions that the Fed has engineered happen with a lag, and I think you're going to continue to see uh, a slowing economy. Inflation will slow, but our long-term view is no different, which is that, um, you know, real wage inflation is not going away. It may it may it may take a break if we get into a deep recession, but for the long term, it's here to stay for a long time. All right. Thanks for your time, Tim. Uh, we'll be off the next couple of weeks of podcasts, but then we'll be returning um, early September. So listeners, enjoy the rest of your summer. Uh, thanks for the likes and subscribes and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.